At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Uh, we have been in the middle of a series. We're coming to the end of this amazing series where we've been looking at future things, the end times. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the eschaton, as it's called in theological terms, the return of Christ. What will that look like? What, what will mark those days? The return of Christ, the end of the age, the coming of our Lord. All of these questions are brought up in the text we've been reading, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. We've entitled this series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today as we look at the future. Why does Jesus tell us these things? He tells us these things because he wants us to be prepared for them. Like a good father, a good teacher, uh, a faithful friend. When you know something major is on the horizon, you're aware of it, you tell those closest to you because you want them to be ready. And the question of the text, the question of our series is, are you ready? Are you ready? And so we're going to pick that up today as we end Matthew uh, 25. This has already been a pretty extraordinary week for me. Uh, I, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It'll show up at different points in my message. But this week I got a chance to go visit a very dear man to me, he and his wife and his family, uh, John Perkins. I'll tell you why he's such a special man. Some of you may know that name. Uh, but I went to go visit him uh, in Mississippi. And so me and my wife and my daughter, Christiana, were flying on a plane. And what do you do when you're flying on a plane if you've run out of things to read and stuff? Well, there's movies you get to pick from. You get to pick from uh, movies. And so uh, my wife is watching one thing. My daughter's watching another thing. I wanted to watch something that was deeply spiritual. So I, I watched Godzilla the whole uh, ride down there. I watched Godzilla, and uh, a lot of a lot of great sermons come out of that movie. I'm just joking. <laughs> I've been spiritual about it all. But how many love sci-fi movies? How many like uh, sci-fi movies, right? And it's like amazing. Uh, it is like uh, explosive and dynamic and all these fireworks, and it's millions upon millions of dollars uh, to capture your imagination. These things that are just like beyond the norm is what makes a sci-fi movie uh, great. But as great as Godzilla, as great as sci-fi movies are, what we're about to read today is almost beyond the imagination as we think about the return of Christ. It is hard for our minds to grasp, and so I don't want us to read this casually or callously. I want us to savor every word, every word of Scripture is God's Word, so it should be savored. And I want us to think about what it reveals about him and what it reveals about us. Because every time we look deeply into the face of Christ, it reveals to us something about us. And I think that one of the things this passage is gonna to reveal to us is 
is that who we are is really revealed in our actions. Our actions reveal our identity. And that's something that needs to be said in the social media age because we live in an age of, of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of these social media platforms. And the thing that's crazy about these platforms, amazingly crazy, is that you can set up a profile and be just about anybody you want to be. How many times has somebody put up a prom picture and then you see them in real life and you're like, whoa, that's not you. That was like you 38 years ago, right? But pick whatever picture you want and then if that's you, I'm not criticizing you. I love you with the love of Jesus, <laughs> right? But, but we, can, we can show amazing pictures of ourselves and all of these wonderful things that gives us a forward-facing image. But I, you know, I remember uh, during my time, I was studying in England for a season, and I had a friend who went to church there who used to ask me, Chris, how are you doing behind the stage? And I remember when he first asked me that, I'm thinking, like, what is he talking about? How am I doing behind the stage? And he used this analogy. He says, you know, in a play, when there's a stage play going on, there's uh, the scenes in front of the curtain, and those are scripted and beautiful and well curated, and they all look great. But then oftentimes behind the curtain, behind stage, there's chaos. There's people changing costumes and, and lighting people and tripping over everything. And he says, you know, I don't want to just know how you're doing in front of the curtain on Sunday morning on social media. What's your life really like behind the stage? And as we read about our glorious Christ, I want you to ask yourself that question in light of these words. Look with me, uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 is where we'll start. And, uh, and I want you to get these words. This is almost like um, even overwhelming to read. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. What, what, a, what an amazing moment. What is, this, what is this king, this shepherd king, that all the nations would come before him? We've never seen anything like this uh, in human history. There have been kings who have tried to conquer continents, but no one has gotten all the nations to come to bow themselves before him. What is it about this king? Well, the word that's used here is the Greek doxa or glory. It is the son of man. It is Jesus. And he is coming in his glory with angels, glorious angels to sit on his glorious throne. Glory is marking this text. And it tells me that I need to have the right image of Jesus coming back. Now, typically, there are two images of Jesus that you and I have. One is the nativity Jesus. How many love nativities? I love nativities. My wife and I, we collect these nativities, and sometimes you'll find them in my office or sometimes in our home or sometimes on our front lawn during the Christmas season. And it's these manger scenes, and Jesus is this uh, cute and quiet, baby in a manger, and he came to earth in such obscurity. But that's not this moment, is it? No, this isn't an obscure moment. The whole world knows. And then there's a second image of Jesus that we often see, and we're going to uh, celebrate that image this week, and that's Jesus on the cross, arms stretched wide, paying that great price for my sin, your sin, uh, that price we could not pay for ourselves 
But that's not this image of Jesus. There's a third image of Jesus that we need to have branded in our hearts that when he comes back, he will come back in glory. This glorious Jesus that will be so overwhelming that even kings will fall to their knees uh, before him. I want to give you a glimpse of what this will look like. Keep your finger there and go to Revelation, last book of the Bible. So if you're in uh, Genesis, you've gone too far. But uh, uh, Revelation 1, Revelation 1, and let's look at verses 7 and 8 to set the context, and then we're going to go to verse 12. Verses 7 and 8, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Then the words of God, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this is the scene, this is the setting, all the nations are wailing at the side of him. What would cause them to wail? It's because of this vision of Jesus. This is the third image we need to have in our hearts when we think of him, verse 12. Then I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet was like, were like uh, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is how your Lord, my Lord, our Savior, our Sovereign, this is how he's going to return. Greater than any sci-fi movie we have ever seen, there is no Hollywood budget that can recreate this moment. He will come in a way that will cause the nations to bow before him. And if this was not enough, my friends, he's not coming alone. He is flanked by 10,000 angels. Well, Chris, how do you know that? Well, go back one book before Revelation. Go to Jude. Jude only has one chapter. Tells us a lot about the second coming. Look at verse number 14 of Jude. It talks about these angels. It says, it, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord is coming, or the Lord comes, rather, with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now we know why the nations are wailing. Can you picture this scene, brothers and sisters, friends? Can you picture this scene? It's, it's hard for me to even read the text without being overwhelmed that Jesus is coming back and his face is going to shine like the sun at his full strength. His voice is going to sound like many rushing waters. He is going to have brownish bronze feet. He is going to radiate with glory and be flanked by glorious angels, 10,000 of them. What will our hearts say? 
Well, I don't know about you, but, you know, we often talk about being on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of this moment. This is why he's telling us about his coming. Going back, he tells us in verse number 32 why he's coming. He's coming to judge. It says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. During this time, uh, shepherds would have goats and sheep that would graze together, common pasture. They would separate them, typically at night but during the day, they kind of be right next to each other, goats and sheep next to each other. It's hard to distinguish, and such it is in our world. Our shepherd king is going to have to separate the goats from the sheep because on the outside, it's hard to know who are the goats, who are the sheep. How do we know? How do we know if we are his sheep? How many want to know? How many want to be sure? How many want to have that blessed assurance? I don't want to be a goat and think I'm a sheep. I don't, want, I don't want to be confused. And what it tells me here is that the king is the only one who can determine because he sees by my selfie filters. He, he sees beyond my Facebook status. He sees beyond everything I put on Instagram. He sees beyond my Twitter profiles. He sees my heart. This is my Jesus who knows that my actions really reveal my identity. And so here it is. We get a glimpse of what Judgment Day is going uh, to look like. This is no small thing. And so then he gives us what it's going to be. And, and I think this is somewhat shocking to us because I think for most of us that we have uh, maybe assumed that all we're going to have to do to get into heaven is pass a theology quiz. And I hope your theology is right. We labor to, 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 to preach the word with precision. Uh, I hope that you understand that Christ alone, that Jesus alone is the way to salvation, that, that Scripture is the word of God, that our triune God is the one and only God, King of kings, Yahweh, Jehovah, worthy of all of our praise, Alpha, Omega, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent. How many believe all of these things? All of these things. But, but what he's about to show us is that faith without works is worthless. That believing all of those things without demonstrating them, might actually reveal that we don't really believe them. Now, our works don't save us, but what we're about to see is that our works surely do demonstrate that we are saved. Look at what it says in verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say, to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How many want to hear this invitation? Want this invitation? I do. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. This is interesting. This is no theology quiz, per se. 
This is living out our faith. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here he is saying that those who uh, are justified are those who demonstrate their faith through their service to others. Those who demonstrate their faith by meeting the needs of the hurting and the broken all around them. I read these words and I'm overwhelmed by it because I think to myself about how hard this is to live in a land of prosperity. Let, let's be honest, there are certain places around the world and even in our community where it's easy for us to live out this type of lifestyle. When you are surrounded by hunger, it's easy for you to see hungry people to feed. When you're surrounded by thirst or sickness or uh, nakedness or, or, or prison, it is easy for us to kind of live into this and just uh, be meeting needs all day long. But the problem for me, the problem for many of us, is that this is the very type of environment we're trying to escape. In the American dream, the thought is, what can I do to show enough ingenuity that people will compensate me for my innovation and ingenuity and hard work and creativity and work ethic so that I can earn enough to insulate myself from this, to insulate myself from hunger, how many by the show of hands don't like being hungry? I know I'm not a fan of it, right? Or don't like being thirsty or naked or without medicine and sick or in prison. So we work hard to insulate ourselves from this, but it's as if the text is saying to us, don't work hard just to insulate yourself from this. Yes, work hard, produce, but do it so that you can have something to give and go back and give. And it convicts my heart. You know, I think about great people from, from, from church history, and then I want to talk a moment about the man I went to spend the week with this week. But I think about St. Patrick. Just recently, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day, and you know, it's sad to me that St. Patrick has been boiled down to green beer and Lucky Charms, you know? <laughs> Clover leaves, but, he, but he's, his life is astounding. And if you study any biographies from church history, if you love biographies, I would highly commend to you St. Patrick. It's hard for me to think and read about his life without being totally convicted and asking myself, Chris, how, how are you living in light of this man that we now know as St. Patrick from Ireland? But here's the ironic thing. He wasn't even born in Ireland. He was born in England, uh, which was a warring country with Ireland. He grew up in a pretty good home, taking care of, well, parents loved God, were Christ followers. He struggled with his face, never really brought into it. He's walking along the seashore one day, and pirates come, Irish pirates, and they kidnap him as a young man, about 16. 
They take him to Ireland. They sell him into slavery. For six years, he works as a slave, lonely and afraid and by himself, but it was there where he meets Christ. He comes to faith. But after six years, uh, the amazing thing that happens is that he escapes. He escapes from his captor. He escapes from being a slave. He travels 200 miles on foot, gets to the seashore, and convinces a group of English merchants to let him board their ship so he can go back to England. The story gets even better. He is reunited with his mom and with his dad. And what does his mom do? She does what any good mama would do. She embraces him and says, never leave us again. And he covenants with his mom, I won't, I won't leave. But he has given his life to the Lord, so he goes into study. He goes into study and he's studying in a monastery there so he can lead God's church and teach God's word to God's people. And all of a sudden, God disrupts this neat little plan him and his mama had agreed to, and he sees in a vision one night, sees in a dream, the people of Ireland saying to him, come back, come back to us. They were a pagan nation full of druid worship and uh, far from God when he left them, and he had a burden to go back to the very land he was a slave in. Now, imagine having that conversation with mama. You know, I think about like my life and uh, one of the things that I praise God for is uh, just the things that God has allowed me to experience in traveling and missions and remote places and sometimes going to uh, places where the, the road runs out. I remember being in a place in Kenya once, looking all around me in this open field saying, if, if I were to die right here, nobody would even know. There'd be no, no way of telling anyone. And these, these are some of the places I went and my mom is watching me preach right now. I won't even tell you about some of the other places. But as, 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 as much of a risk taker that I feel I am, now that I got these kids growing up, and I got this daughter who's a teenager now, and she's talking to me about wanting to move away from home and do all these things for Jesus, and I'm thinking to myself, no, you gotta stay. It's hard to just release your children. But this is what his mom and dad had to do. And he goes back to Ireland, the place of his slavery, and he preaches the gospel. And 51 of the tribes, they were broken up into various tribes in that time, 51 of the tribes come to Christ, and the rest of the nation comes to Christ through the work of his followers after his death. Isn't that amazing? He becomes known for the people he serves. He doesn't just work hard to get out, but he goes back. Then I think about this John Perkins. Maybe you've heard of him. He's worth Googling if you haven't. John M. Perkins, Dr. John Perkins, grew up in uh, the 1930s in the oppressive South, Jim Crow South, racism South. His, uh, his brother is, is murdered there uh, as a result of a racist act, and he grows up. He's beaten uh, there uh, as a young man, and so he vows that he is going to get out at all costs, and he joins the military, which has been a pathway to a new life for many. He gets out of the military. He goes to California. He begins to build a life for his family there. But then he meets Jesus, and Jesus has a way of disrupting our comfortable plans. His son goes to a good news uh, club, Bible study club, comes to faith, comes back to his dad, and he's singing this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. I think that's how it goes. You know it better. There's a reason why they have me preach and don't lead worship. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children of the world. He gives himself to Christ. 
and he hears Christ say, go back to Mendenhall, Mississippi. The very place of your pain and woundedness because they need Jesus. And he goes back and he invests his life. He gave up California for Mississippi and he invests his life into reconciliation and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got a chance to spend a week with him. He's 91 years young body full of cancer, but I've never seen someone more alive. And you know what he is asking himself right now as he sees on the precipice the, the eternity awaiting him? He is asking, who, who else can I touch? Who else can I serve? Are there more who are hungry that I can feed, thirsty that I can give drink to, naked that I can clothe? Are there more prisoners that I can serve? And we sat and we talked. And I thought about that great quote by the British preacher J.C. Rowell. Maybe you've heard of him before. He says, there are two uh, rare things in life. These are the rarest things in life that you will find. The first is a young man who is not full of pride. It's rare to find a young man who's not full of pride. He said, the second is an old man not full of regrets. I've been that young man. I know what it is to be young and feel invincible and full of pride. And God has a way through life of working that out of you. Life will humble you. It will strip you of pride. But I'm praying that the second half of that quote will not be true for me. I don't want to be an old man full of regrets. I want to give myself fully to Jesus, fully to this. And I'm asking myself this question. Maybe you are as well. Lord, when have I done these things? Am I, am I doing these things? Am I feeding the hungry? When was the last time I did that? When was the last time I gave drink to someone who was thirsty? When was the last time I saw a stranger and welcomed them into my life? Do I have too many fences, too many barriers around? When was the last time I went to a prison just to spend time with prisoners? I'm asking myself this question because I take the word of God seriously. And maybe you are as well. We should be asking. That's part of asking ourselves, are we ready? Does my faith have works or is it worthless? Have I chosen comfort over Christ? And I think we're right to ask this question because of verse 37, because this is what it seems they did. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or fed you or thirsty and give you drink? Jesus, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? And he tells them, as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. This, my friends, has to be the greatest undercover boss story ever known in human history. How many have ever seen that show, Undercover Boss? It's like totally inspiring, but you know the way that it works. The CEO or C-level executive disguises themselves and goes and works as an entry-level frontline worker employee, and they're working next to some of their other employees just to see what the business looks like from the ground level, and some employees are great, and they take their job seriously. Other employees, not knowing who's standing next to them, uh, they misbehave, and they take advantage of the resources or the opportunity. And then at the end of the show, the CEO reveals himself. My friends, there's gonna be a great reveal coming. A great reveal where Jesus will say, that was me. 
That was me. That was me in the shadows. That was me on the street corner. That was me in the jail. That was, I, I was that young orphan. I was that, 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 that young mom who was struggling to make it. I was your, your coworker st- trapped in addiction and nobody knew it. That was me. And you know how the show works for those workers that did a great job? They get a reward at the end. Maybe they get a a franchise or they get their college education or debt paid for. And that will be uh, the case for us. Look again back at our text. And it says here in verse number 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's going to give us the reward of an entire kingdom kingdom to share with him if we didn't look past him. My friends, we should be challenged by this. I am challenged by this to say, Chris, uh, do you really have faith in Christ? Are you really a sheep or are you a goat? And we know sheep from goats by our actions, our faith producing good works. But then there's this other group, group to the left, the goats. Then he will say, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see their dilemma here, right? Their dilemma is not that they didn't see hungry people. Their dilemma was not that they didn't see thirsty people or naked people or strangers. We all see them. We all see strangers every day. We all see people in need in our lives. Their dilemma was that they didn't see Christ in those faces. And that's our dilemma. And the challenge, again, of the text is to know that as we're serving the least of these, we are serving Jesus. And so where do we find it in the land of prosperity and blessing? When we've worked hard to insulate ourselves from need, we have to look for it, we have to pray for these opportunities. I thought about our church. You know, most of the week when I'm preparing to preach, I spend most of my time um, just doing research on the text. What's the Greek here? What's the syntax? What's the historical setting, the grammatical setting? That's where I spent most of my week. But this week, I spent most of my time thinking about the application. Where's the application of this, God? How do I do this more? I don't want to end my life saying I could have invested more of my time, more of my talent, more of my treasure into reaching people. I don't want to end my life saying it was all a lie, this whole thought that he who has the most toys wins. I don't want to end my life with regrets. I could have served you more. I could have reached more. And then God began to bring people to my mind, people in, in our own church. And it's just amazing how God has blessed our church family. And I think about 
I just had a meeting with uh, uh, Larry Gudith and his wife, Gail, and they're serving in 83 counties in this state. They're serving prisons and jails all across the state. They're serving prisoners. And maybe you haven't, uh, you, you don't know a prisoner. You, you could just come alongside of them and say, how can I serve with you? And that's what I think about Greg McDougal and all the special needs families. He's serving not only in our church, but across our state and beyond. And I think, man, you could just come alongside and say, can I serve with you? Then I start thinking of Ellie Shupra and I start thinking about the Pontiac Dream Center, how it's loving this city that has so much hope and so much need. And you could just come alongside and say, hey, can I just serve with you? We don't even have to be terribly creative. I start thinking of Cindy uh, Spazia who's uh, serving uh, these nursing homes and has been uh, going to nursing homes and caring for those who need love at the bookend of life. And I think to myself, you could just come alongside. There's so many opportunities, short-term mission trips and opportunities all around us. We're without excuse. And so... The question, my friends, as we end this passage, as we end this series, as we prepare to close this moment in worship is, are you ready? Don't let anything keep you from being ready. Don't let this world distract you. The question is, are you ready? Have you put your faith in Christ? And is that faith being demonstrated through works and of, of, of love and compassion? And if you have not, then give your life to Jesus today. Give your life to Christ today. I look at these cameras and I say, if you're at home, give your life to Jesus. If you're in this auditorium, I'm saying give your life to him. Because how many would agree with me that giving your life to Jesus is the best decision you have ever made? Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand with me. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. Our worship team is going to come back and lead us in worship. But if you want to give your life to Christ, come to the front after you're done, if you're in this room and if you're at home, just type, hey, I want to connect. I want to give my life to Jesus and I promise you we'll follow up with you. But don't show up before uh, our, our shepherd king and not be ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. They are true. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. And uh, it's in Christ's name that we say amen and amen. Come on and give him praise, honor, and glory. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.